You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. Welcome to this episode of the Business of Practice podcast, where we focus on the financial, physical, and human sides of equine veterinary medicine. In this episode, we're talking about veterinarian hiring with Stacey Purcell, founder and CEO of The Vet Recruiter. Her group is the leading veterinarian animal health executive search and recruitment firm. I'm your host, Kim Brown, editor of Equimanagement. The Business of Practice podcast is brought to you by Care Credit. Welcome, Stacy, and thank you for joining us today on the podcast. My pleasure, Kim. Thanks for having me here. Well, I am so excited to have you on the show. Um, you've been an executive recruiter for 25 years, and you're basically considered a workplace and workforce expert. And we really need that in the veterinary industry right now. And I know you're acutely aware of the shortage of veterinarians in the job market. And that's what I'd like to talk to you about today on the podcast. And specifically, I want to address the shortage of equine veterinarians and what employers can do in the face of this shortage. So, Stacy, can you sort of set the stage for us? What's happening in the job market right now in terms of veterinarians and the veterinary profession? Mm -hmm. Yes, I can absolutely do that. So let's start with the unemployment rate in the veterinary profession right now. So according to the job search site Zipia, since 2013, the unemployment rate in the veterinary profession has decreased from 1% to 0.2%. Wow. That is incredible. And so that means that there's really nothing out there. There's no one to come in and fill these positions. So as a job recruiter, is that what you're seeing in the industry? Yes, it is what I'm seeing. Uh, I've been doing this, like you said, Kim, for 25 years, and this is the tightest market for talent uh, that I've ever seen in the veterinary profession. I've been through multiple recessions and good economies, and anyone who wants a job right now as a veterinarian has a job. And I can't remember the last time that I spoke with an unemployed veterinarian who needed a job. Okay, so here's kind of the the million dollar question: Is the market going to stay? this tight to get veterinarians hired? Yes, unfortunately it is. So according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics or the BLS, it will. So twice a year, the BLS updates its Occupational Outlook Handbook, which includes information about the nature of work, working conditions, training and education, earnings and job outlook for hundreds of different occupations. And the veterinary profession is one of the occupations included within this handbook. In April of this year, the BLS projected that veterinarian jobs will grow by 17% between 2020 and 2030. Well, we're already two years into that time frame. (laughs) But just in September of this year, the BLS adjusted their numbers. And now they're predicting that veterinarian jobs are going to grow by 19% between 2021 and 2031. And again, we're already a year into that. Wow. So the Bureau of Labor Statistics is saying that the veterinarian shortage is going to become even more severe in the years ahead. Yes, that's what they're saying. Okay. So in terms of the open positions that aren't or can't be filled, how bad is this shortage going to be and how does it affect hiring? 
Well, there was another report that was released by Mars Veterinary Health earlier this year that said there will be a shortage of 15,000 veterinarians by the end of this decade. Now, that report was published before the latest BLS projections that just came out in September. So when you take those projections into consideration, we're going to be looking at a shortage of 18,000 veterinarians by 2031. So what about the new graduates? Aren't there enough of them to help with the veterinarian shortage? Unfortunately, no. So according to an article in Today's Veterinary Business in February of last year, approximately 2,000 people retire from the veterinary profession every year. And according to data from the American Association of Veterinary Medical Colleges, about 3,000 veterinary students graduated in 2020. So that's 1,000 more graduates than retirements. Yes. And so the problem is that there is already a severe shortage of veterinarians, so much that a thousand extra veterinarians is not going to put a dent into this. And then keep in mind that even if the number of veterinarian jobs remain constant, a thousand extra veterinarians would not put much of a dent in the shortage. So since the number of job openings is projected to increase 19% during the next 10 years, the extra veterinarians entering the job market as new graduates cannot keep up with the number of new job openings that are being created every year. And so that's why the shortage is just going to keep getting worse. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And so that's why if the numbers don't improve, researchers predict that approximately 75 million pets could be left without medical care by the end of the decade. And according to Mars Veterinary Health, more than 40,000 people would need to enter the profession during the next 10 years to counteract this trend. Oh, 40,000, and right now we only have an excess of 1,000 veterinary graduates. Yes, that's true. So, of course, on this podcast, and we've been talking about veterinary practice in general, just because we want everyone to understand this is a, a global problem. It's happening everywhere. But we focus on equine veterinarians. So, they're also in short supply. So, have you seen this as well in your business, Stacy? Yes, I have. There is a shortage of equine veterinarians, and there's also a shortage of, of all large animal veterinarians. Okay, so our industry in equine veterinary medicine is facing a shortage within a shortage. Yes, you could say that. And there's a few different reasons why that's the case. So first, more and more, those who study to become a veterinarian right now are preferring to be a small animal veterinarian and work with pets or companion animals. According to a study by Possum Advice, less than 10% of veterinary graduates take a rural job. So there's the preference factor with more people choosing to be a small animal veterinarian as opposed to a large animal or rural one. And in our search firm, we are seeing more candidates who want to go to bigger cities versus going to more rural areas. Okay, so what what is maybe some other factors that are playing into this? Well, the second major factor is the pay gap between small animal and large animal veterinarians. The average salary for a first year small animal veterinarian is around $96,000, while an equine vet will make on average around $58,000 per year, and the pay gap doesn't get much smaller over time either. I will say that in our search practice, we haven't seen a single job offer accepted 
for a small animal veterinarian for less than 100,000 over the last 18 months. And then according to Comparably.com, the average equine veterinarian salary in the United States is 88245 with about 1500 of that total in the form of a bonus. So for small animal veterinarians, the average salary is 110380 with 17143 of that total being a bonus. The Business of Practice podcast is brought to you by Care Credit. Care Credit keeps equine veterinarians at the heart of care by providing horse owners with simple, budget-friendly financing options. By bridging the gap between cost and care, Care Credit supports healthy financial relationships between veterinarians and their clients. It can help them move forward with care a horse needs whenever and wherever it's needed. Okay. So small animal veterinarians receive an annual bonus that is 10 times greater than what equine veterinarians get? Yes, that's right. And the disparity becomes even greater when small animal veterinarians switch from one job to another. So why is that? Well, almost 100 almost 100% of job offers for small animal veterinarians include a sign-on bonus. And typically what we're seeing is sign-on bonuses in the range of 10,000 to 20,000, but they've they've been increasing towards the end of this year. So we're seeing more $50,000 sign-on bonuses recently. And we've even seen some bonuses in the 100,000 to 250,000 range, especially if the candidate is willing to make a multi-year commitment to the practice. In fact, we have a client who is offering up to uh, up to 250,000 in a combination. Wow. <laughs> yes, wow. In the combination of a sign-on and retention bonus for hiring candidates. And so while a great company culture and superb employer branding can go a long way, an employer will also more than likely have to shell out a sign-on bonus to be able to hire its preferred candidate. Okay, I did not realize that the trends were going so far in that direction for small animal veterinarians. Yes. And so money is definitely a factor. So especially when you factor in student debt. And according to the American Veterinary Medical Association or the AVMA, the average student loan debt for veterinarians is more than 180000 So that means when choosing a particular field, the average person is going to choose the field that's going to pay them the most money in the shortest amount of time so they can better manage their debt and finances. So right now, a small animal veterinarian has a better chance to do that than a large animal or equine veterinarian. But there's also another factor at the other end of the spectrum that's also contributing to the shortage. So what is that? Well, there are more small animal veterinarians entering the workforce as graduates as compared to the number retiring. That's not the case for large animal veterinarians. There is a larger number uh, retiring and a small number set to enter the workforce. So an example is almost 40% of the large animal veterinarians in Kentucky are within 10 years of retirement. Wow. And of course, when it comes to the rural setting, there's other factors, too, because we know working in the field means you have to, well, literally work in the field. So hours and schedules can be unpredictable. And being a large animal vet can also be a lot more physically taxing. Yes, that's absolutely true. And so all of these things are factors and contributing reasons on why this shortage exists. Okay, so Stacy, what can employers do about this? How can they hire equine veterinarians when there's a shortage? 
So that's a great question. Um, before I go into hiring, I want to talk about retention because it's much more affordable to keep the veterinarians that you have on staff than to hire new ones. And we've all been hearing in the news about what's happening with the great resignation during the past year or so. So is that over? I haven't heard much about it in the news lately. Yes. While it hasn't been in the news in the past few weeks, the great resignation is still happening. So according to the BLS, the country was averaging 4 million quits per year through the first nine months of the year, putting it on track with 2021. Not only that, but the share of unemployed Americans who quit or voluntarily left their jobs and immediately began looking for new employment rose to 15.9% in September. This is the highest level of of so-called job leavers as a percentage of the unemployed reported since 1990. And in addition, according to data released by LinkedIn earlier this year, the members of Generation Z are switching jobs at a rate of 134% higher. I had to look at that number twice to make sure that I was really seeing 134% higher than in 2019, which means more than twice as frequently as they were just a couple years before. And Gen Zers were already changing jobs rather frequently in 2019. So you make a great point. So what can employers do to retain their veterinarians? Well, there are a number of things that employers can do. So uh, one of the things is to offer more flexibility. So you'll find that the same things that convince someone to join your organization are typically the same things that will convince somebody uh, to, to stay at the organization. So the second thing is to show your current employees that they're appreciated. So this could be encouraging words or pats on the back because those things go a long way. And then also recognizing someone in front of their coworkers is even better. You can show them how much you value them in more tangible ways, such as giving gift cards or bonuses or other tokens of your appreciation. And then third, do what you can do to reduce their stress because Let's face it, there's a lot of stress in the world and at work. So employees will take notice of your attempts to alleviate their stress so that they can enjoy their jobs more and be more productive in the process. So employees who aren't as stressed perform better and are less likely to look for another job. So I have an example of this. Um, one of our clients had had one of their clients who was a pet owner that was trying to get their, their dog seen by the veterinarians in the practice. And so the practice told this person they were booked for two weeks. And so this person said something really awful and really threatening um, to the practice. I mean, he, he threatened them and, and he wasn't joking. And so the practice owner, everybody was stressed out over this. And so the practice owner decided decided to close the hospital for the day. He paid all of his employees and they had a wellness day and he brought in a food truck and they all brought their lawn chairs and had food in the parking lot. And so it just gave everybody a break from the stress. And so that was a great way to not only cultivate loyalty with the employees and foster a great company culture, but also it helps to to build a stellar employer brand. Yeah, that's definitely going above and beyond to give your employees what they need. And it I realize it doesn't have to be a big thing. I used to go and have ice cream runs when we were in the middle of deadlines. And it's like, okay, what do you want? And it was just a little pick me up. But unfortunately, 
we we know that employers need to give employees what they need. Yes, and that that is so true. And so, you know, that helps that employer to become what we call an employer of choice. And, you know, ultimately, every organization should strive to be known as an employer of choice. So what exactly is an employer of a choice? That sounds great. An employer of choice is an employer that offers a great workplace environment, a great culture, and there are many benefits associated with being known as an employer of choice. So the first benefit is that job seekers or candidates are going to want to come work for your organization. They're going to be attracted to you, or at the very least, you're going to be on their short list of employers. And then second, your best employees want to stay with you even when they're being courted by other employers. You're going to have less turnover when you're an employer of choice. So... Being known as an employer of choice kind of helps with both hiring and retention. Yes, that's right. And I have some characteristics of what an employer of choice is. And these come from the balancedcareers.com website. So being an employer of choice are doing things like offering competitive salary and benefits, having a compelling mission statement and vision, job security so that your employees feel safe and they feel valued, giving your employees empowerment and authority, giving them the tools to do their job, giving them access to information. So this means being transparent, uh, giving them your commitment, being involved, having them having positive relationships with coworkers, offering them better work-life balances, uh, high performance culture, fairness, treating everyone uh, fairly and with respect, and recognition. Employees love to be recognized for the value and contributions that they add to the organization. Yeah, well, and that's there's quite a bit that goes into being an employer of choice. Yes, there is. And it takes um, effort and it takes uh, being intentional. And so I'd also like to address the other end of the, the, spe- the spectrum with uh, what does not make a company an employer of choice. Okay, let's go into that. So the top reasons why an organization is not considered an employer of choice, um, and I I see these play out too in my day-to-day work with talking with candidates and the reasons they're looking to leave their current employer. So reasons candidates give for leaving, for example, or the company has a poor reputation in the marketplace. Um, That could be with their clients or with their employees. Um, The compensation and the benefits are not competitive. The company is unorganized. They don't have any systems in place. Um, The way they treat people during the hiring process, uh, lack of technology, that's a big one. Uh, For example, uh, no electronic medical records in a veterinary practice. And we get that feedback a lot if we send somebody to interview in a practice that is still working off of paper records. uh, It's very hard to get a candidate uh, to be attracted to that organization. Um, Other reasons why companies are not an employer of choice, lack of mentorship opportunities, and this is especially important for newer graduates, and then lack of continuing education or chances to learn new skills or lack of growth opportunities. So if you're considered an employer of choice, more candidates are going to want to work for you and your current employees are going to want to stay with you as well. Okay, so now, Stacey, since we've talked about retention, Let's talk about hiring. What can employers do in hiring in that area? 
So this probably won't surprise you considering what we've already discussed so far, but the law of supply and demand dictates that it's going to take more in the form of starting salary and other forms of compensation to successfully hire veterinarians. So in this case today, we're talking about equine veterinarians. So according to this law, uh, low supply and high demand increase price. So this means hiring equine veterinarians is going to require more money. There's already a pay gap between small animal and large animal veterinarians. And allow me to elaborate more to illustrate what's been happening in the companion animal space. So I'd already mentioned this, but we've seen no offers accepted by small animal veterinarians in the past year that were below 100,000 in base or, or guaranteed salary. And then in addition, new graduates and even students Students who have not yet graduated are asking for $100,000 to $150,000 in base guaranteed salaries and they're receiving it. So general practice veterinarians with three years of experience or more asking for salaries of $140,000 or more plus production. And we're seeing emergency veterinarians asking for $200,000 or more. And the reason they say is they can earn more money doing relief work, so the salary has to make sense for them to accept the full-time position. And so our firm is seeing offers on both coasts. So New York City, San Francisco, and other places in California, we're seeing salaries for veterinarians. And these are mostly medical directors or highly experienced doctors, but we're seeing salaries between $250,000 and $300,000 in some cases. That is far cry from what equine veterinarians are earning. <laughs> yes. And so there may be an even greater shortage of equine veterinarians than companion animal veterinarians in the job market. And so since that's the case, employers cannot expect to pay what they paid in the past. That's not going to work. And so they must entice equine veterinary candidates with an increase in salary, offer sign-on bonuses and other compensation and benefits. But there's also something else that's become very important to today's candidates, and, and that's flexibility. So what do you mean by that? Do you mean schedule flexibility? Yes, schedule flexibility and also work-life balance. I know that there is more flexibility available to small animal veterinarians and large animal ones, but companion animal veterinarians are asking for a lot of flexibility when exploring employment opportunities. For example, more doctors are requesting not to work weekends or, or evenings and nights. Uh, they're asking for four-day work weeks, uh, those are becoming very common. And so in fact, some practices are saying that 32 hours per week considers full-time now rather than 40 hours that we've seen in the past. And then in addition, there are doctors who are requesting to work even three days a week. Um, we've even seen some that only work one or two days a week. I talked to a boarded specialist recently who only works on Mondays. Um, but most of the offers that our firms are seeing have three weeks of paid time off and some, some have four weeks. In fact, the things that we see get negotiated the most often are paid time off and additional money for continuing education. Okay, so Stacy, one of the most difficult challenges in hiring equine veterinarians is finding them in the first place. So how would you recommend employers go about doing that? Mm -hmm. Well, for one thing, because of the veterinarian shortage and the fact that it is a candidate's market, online job advertisements uh, might not yield the best results. 
And why is that? Well, the people who typically use job board posting sites are those who are actively looking for a new job. And so those are active job seekers. However, they do not represent every qualified candidate in the job market. And that's because the market also contains passive candidates. So passive candidates are not actively looking for a new job because they're highly regarded. They're gainfully employed. Their current employer is keeping them satisfied, not to mention they're very busy. And so that means passive candidates are not necessarily looking on the internet to find jobs. So they're not typically going to job board, job board posting sites. And so since they're is a shortage of veterinarians, including equine veterinarians, it means that a lot of them are passive candidates and not not active candidates. Okay, so if they're not looking at the job boards, what can employers do? The one thing they can do is they can implement an employee referral program. Ask your existing employees if they know of anyone that they can refer because you already like them as an employee. So there's a good chance that you would also like someone else that they know. In addition, go back through the files of everyone that you've interviewed in the past. Hopefully you've kept those records and you can reach back out to those individuals to see if they might be interested in exploring your opportunity. Uh, so networking and building a pipeline, uh, staying connected to the people in the job market is very important. And you've probably heard the phrase, it's not what you know, but it's who you know. So it's been my experience experience that it's both what you know and who you know that makes a difference. So another thing an employer can do is they can build relationships with an experienced and reputable recruiting firm. Okay, so Stacy, that's you. So what exactly do recruiters do? Mm -hmm. Recruiters look for the best people in the marketplace. They don't just look for the best people who are active candidates who are looking for a position, because like I mentioned, the best people are usually gainfully employed and highly regarded and not looking for a position. So those people have to be sought out and recruited by a recruiter. So they're harder to find and they're harder to land. But recruiters their sole job is to recruit while you focus on running your business. So you you don't have 40 hours in the week to focus on recruiting. Uh, recruiters spend their entire week recruiting for their clients' businesses. So when an organization uses a recruiter, it increases the size of its talent pool to nearly every qualified candidate in the job market because recruiters have access to passive candidates. And since they've built relationships with those candidates over the course of time, as a result, recruiters know the career goals and ambitions mm -hmm. of the can candidates they're working with, and they know what kind of opportunities it would take for them to make a move. Well, that, that makes sense. So what other value does a recruiter provide to employers? Well, they have the ability to influence a top candidate to consider another organization's employment opportunity, even if they were not actively looking for a new job. And they can convince them through influence to enter another organization's hiring process. Recruiters help keep top candidates engaged throughout the hiring process, which decreases the chances that those candidates will drop out of the process. And they can also help to close a top candidate during the job offer stage of the process, even even extending the job offer to the candidate personally to help increase the likelihood that the candidate will accept it. You know, after all, recruiters 
have lots of experience extending job offers and negotiating them when, you know, one employer may not have as much experience. You know, I've negotiated thousands of job offers in my career. Um, so studies actually show that when the recruiter is extending the job offer, there's a higher chance that the candidate will accept the offer. Um, they also provide value after the organization has hired the candidate. So how do how does a recruiter give any value after the hiring? Well, they help with the onboarding process. So one of the things that they do is they they make sure the candidate starts the job on the first day of, of work. So they, they're not ghosting their new employer. OK, so does that ghosting happen a lot, just not showing up? It actually has been happening more often during the past few years. So it's another consequence of the candidate's job market that we're in. And there are a couple more pieces of value that recruiters can offer as well. So they reduce the amount of time that it takes to fill an open position, thereby reducing the cost associated with leaving the position open for an extended period of time. And they also reduce the likelihood that the organization will hire someone they shouldn't, mm. which also reduce the cost associated with making a bad, bad hire, including the cost of having to hire than another person. So it seems that recruiters can offer a lot of values to employers, especially in terms of hiring. So we're almost out of time, Stacey. So is there anything else that you'd like to add in regard to hiring equine veterinarians? Yes. So I'd like to say that although there are many challenges associated with hiring the right candidates and retaining your top employees, it can be done. So it's true that it requires more time, energy and effort today than it may have required in the past. But consider it as an investment in the future of your organization. And there's no doubt in my mind that those employers that are able to hire and retain top talent in the years ahead will be those who are ultimately the most successful and the most profitable. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Stacy, and a big thanks to our listeners and to our sponsor, Care Credit, for allowing us to have these conversations. We invite our listeners to visit equimanagement.com or your favorite podcast network to hear each episode of The Business of Practice. And if you have any questions or suggestions, you can send an email to me at kbrown, that's the letter K Brown, at equinenetwork.com. The Business of Practice podcast is a production of the Equine Podcast Network, an entity of the Equine Network, LLC. Mm-hmm.